Welcome, one. Welcome all to the Womance Public Access Read-Along of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. I am the reader of the odd-numbered chapters, Morgan. And I am your even chapter reader, Isabeau. And today, or this episode, we are embarking upon chapter 15. But before we do that, Isabeau, would you quickly remind us of what's happened so far? In the last chapter, there was a dinner party. Can you even believe it? And the good (laughs) Mr. Collins was made to suffer the slings and arrows unbeknownst to him by Mr. Bennett, who fancies himself quite funny. Um, And we learned all about Mr. Collins's esteemed patroness and her daughter, and that he likes to give little compliments to the ladies that he, you know, makes up. Uh, Thank you for that summary. And now we shall begin chapter 15. Mr. Collins was not a sensible man, and the deficiency of nature had been but little assisted by education or society. The greatest part of his life having been spent under the guidance of an illiterate and miserly father, and though he belonged to one of the universities, he had merely kept the necessary terms without forming at it any useful acquaintance. The subjection in which his father had brought him up and had given him originally great humility of manner... But it was now a good deal counteracted by the self-conceit of a weak head living in retirement and the consequential feelings of early and unexpected prosperity. A fortunate chance had recommended him to Lady Catherine de Bourgh when the living of Hunsford was vacant, and the respect which he felt for her high rank and his veneration for her as his patroness, mingling with a very good opinion of himself, of his authority as a clergyman and his rights as a rector made him altogether a mixture of pride and obsequiousness, self-importance and humility. Having now a good house and very sufficient income, he intended to marry, and in seeking a reconciliation with the Longbourn family, he had a wife in view, as he meant to choose one of the daughters, if he found them as handsome and amiable as they were represented by common report. This was his plan of amends, of atonement, for inheriting their father's estate. And he thought it an excellent one, full of eligibility and suitableness, and excessively generous and disinterested on his own part. His plan did not vary on seeing them. Miss Bennet's lovely face confirmed his views, and established all his strictest notions of what was due to seniority, and for the first evening she was his settled choice. The next morning, however, made an alteration, for in a quarter of an hour's tete-a-tete with Mrs. Bennet before breakfast, a conversation beginning with his parsonage house and leading naturally to the avowal of his hopes that a mistress for it might be found at Longbourn, produced from her, amidst very complacent smiles and general encouragement, a caution against the very Jane he had fixed on. As to her younger daughters, she could not take upon 
her to say. She could not positively answer, but she did not know of any prepossession. Her eldest daughter, she must mention, she felt it incumbent on her to hint, was likely to be very soon engaged. Mr. Collins had only to change from Jane to Elizabeth, and it was soon done. Done while Mr. Bennett was stirring the fire. Or rather, (laughs) done while Mrs. Bennett was stirring the fire. Elizabeth, equally next to Jane in birth and beauty, succeeded her, of course. Mrs. Bennett treasured up the hint and trusted that she might soon have two daughters married. And the man whom she could not bear to speak of the day before was now high in her good graces. Lydia's intention of walking to Maryton was not forgotten. Every sister except Mary agreed to go with her. Typical Mary. (laughs) And Mr. Collins was to attend them. At the request of Mr. Bennett, who was most anxious to get rid of him and have his library to himself, For thither Mr. Collins had followed him after breakfast, and there he would continue, nominally engaged with one of the largest folios in the collection, but really talking to Mr. Bennett, with little cessation, of his house and garden at Hunsford. Such doings discomposed Mr. Bennett exceedingly. In his library he had always been sure of leisure and tranquility, and though prepared, as he told Elizabeth, to meet with folly and conceit in every other room in the house, he was used to be free from them there. His civility, therefore, was most prompt in inviting Mr. Collins to join his daughters in their walk, and Mr. Collins, being in fact much better fitted for a walker than a reader, was extremely well pleased to close his large book and go. In pompous nothings on his side and civil assents on that of his cousins, their time passed till they entered Maryton. The attention of the younger ones was then no longer to be gained by him. Their eyes were immediately wandering up in the street quest in quest of the officers, and nothing less than a very smart bonnet indeed, or a really new muslin in a shop window, could recall them. But the attention of every lady was soon caught by a young man, whom they had never seen before, of most gentlemanlike appearance, walking with an officer on the other side of the way. The officer was the very Mr. Denny, concerning whose return from London Lydia came to inquire, and he bowed as they passed. All were struck with the stranger's air, all wondered who he could be, and Kitty and Lydia, determined if possible to find out, led the way across the street, under pretense of wanting something in the opposite shop, and fortunately had just gained the pavement when two gentlemen turning back had reached the same spot. Mr. Denny addressed them directly and entreated permission to introduce his friend, Mr. Wickham who had returned with him the day before from town, and he was very happy to say had accepted a commission in their corps. This was exactly as it should be, for the young man wanted only regiments to make him completely charming. His appearance was greatly in his favor. He had all the best part of beauty, a fine countenance, a good figure, and very pleasing address. 
The introduction was followed up on his side by a happy readiness of conversation, a readiness at the same time perfectly correct and unassuming, and the whole party were still standing and talking together, very agreeably, when the sound of horses drew their notice and Darcy and Bingley were seen riding down the street. On distinguishing the ladies of the group, the two gentlemen came directly towards them and began the usual civilities. Bingley was the principal spokesman, and Miss Bennet the principal object. He was then, he said, on his way to Longbourn, on purpose to inquire after her. Mr. Darcy corroborated it with a bow, and was beginning to determine not to fix his eyes on Elizabeth when they were suddenly arrested by the sight of the stranger. And Elizabeth, happening to see the countenance of both as they looked at each other, was all astonishment at the effect of the meaning. Both changed color. One looked white, the other red. Mr. Wickham, after a few moments, touched his hat, a salutation which Mr. Darcy just deigned to return. What could be the meaning of it? It was impossible to imagine. It was impossible not to long to know. In another minute, Mr. Bingley, but without seeming to have noticed what passed, took leave and rode on with his friend. Mr. Denny and Mr. Wickham walked with the young ladies to the door of Mr. Phillips' house, and then made their bows in spite of Miss Lydia's pressing entreaties that they would come in, and even in spite of Mrs. Phillips throwing up the parlor window and loudly seconding the invitation. Mrs. Phillips was always glad to see her nieces, and the two eldest from their recent absence were particularly welcome, and she was eagerly expressing her surprise at their sudden return home, which, as their own carriage had not fetched them, she should have known nothing about if she had not happened to see Mr. Jones' shop-boy in the street, who had told her that they were not to send any more <laughs> drafts to Netherfield because the Miss Bennets were come away. When her civility was claimed towards Mr. Collins by Jane's introduction of him, she received him with her very best politeness, which he returned with as much more apologizing for his intrusion, without any previous acquaintance with her, which he could not help flattering himself, however, might be justified by his relationship to the young ladies who introduced him to her notice. Mrs. Phillips was quite awed by such an excess of good breeding, but her contemplation of one stranger was soon put an end to by exclamations and inquiries about the other. Of whom, however, she could only tell her nieces that they already knew that Mr. Denny had brought him from London, and that he was to have a lieutenant's commission in the Beepshire. She had watching him the last hour, she said, as he walked up and down the street, and had Mr. Wickham appeared, Kitty and Lydia would certainly have continued the occupation. But unluckily, no one passed the windows now except a few of the officers, who in comparison with the stranger were become stupid, disagreeable fellows. Some of them were to dine with the Phillipses the next day, and their aunt promised to make her husband call on Mr. Wickham and give him an invitation also if the family from Longburn could be come in the evening. This was agreed to, and Mrs. Phillips protested that they would have a nice, comfortable, noisy game of lottery tickets and a little bit of hot supper afterwards. The prospect of such delights was very cheering, and they parted in mutual good spirits, Mr. Collins repeated his apologies in quitting the room and was assured with unwearying civility that they were perfectly needless. 
As they walked home, Elizabeth related to Jane what she had seen pass between the two gentlemen. But though Jane would have defended either or both, had they appeared to be wrong, she could no more explain such behavior than her sister. Mr. Collins, on his return, highly gratified by Mrs. Bennet, by admiring Mrs. Phillips' manners and politeness, he protested that, except Lady Catherine and her daughter, he had never seen a more elegant woman, for she had not only received him with the utmost civility, but had even pointedly included him in her invitation for the next evening, although utterly unknown to her before, something he supposed he might attribute to his connection with them. But yet he had never met with so much attention in the whole course of his life. Well, that's just the saddest little detail. Gosh. It's a little heartbreak right there and half a clause. I've spent so much time feeling sorry for the villains of this novel so far. I w- you really have, man. I cannot feel urged to take pity on Mr. Collins. That's fine. I'll do it for you. I don't know. Like, you know, the beginning of the text sets up that he's kind of a a failing upwards kind of guy. A ye old failing upwards kind of guy. Although he spent the greatest part of his life under the guidance of an un- illiterate and miserly father. And then does indeed fail upwards <laughs> into the uh, orbit of one Catherine de Berg. But that just, that little, you know, heartbreak of a line. But yet he had never met with so much attention in the whole course of his life. Ugh. And you know that the girls aren't even talking to him. Like, Kitty and Lydia are like, tell us about the stranger, aunt. I know. And there was, like, a moment when, like, they met Wickham and then Darcy and Bennett showed up that I was like, where's Collins? Is he the Exactly. Like, he just... He totally disappears on the street. He really does. <laughs> our our author loses sight of him. Yeah, but he's the opening and the closing of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor Lizzie in his crosshairs. I know. What do you think of the introduction of the mysterious Mr. Wickham? You know, it reminds me of... It- there's like no detail given, right? Just that he has mm-hmm. a f- he's got a a good figure and a handsome face. Mm-hmm. And I think about how fleetingly those things change and how frequently. And I wonder if that isn't like a wonderful tool of writing a timeless text. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you can really be specific about Mr. Rochester's ugliness mm-hmm. because that makes him interesting and like if it makes him attractive like all the better for the reading experience you know but there's something about like explicitly describing beauty that feels like less evergreen i think you're right because the beauty standards change so if you just say that he has a fine form and a pleasing way of address it's just like he's tall and charming but then there's that like little bit there's something like a little unsettling in his introduction, a readiness at the same time perfectly correct and unassuming. The introduction was followed up on his side by a happy readiness of conversation. A readiness at the same time perfectly correct and unassuming. Pretty much every other form of address that we've seen in the book depicted has been neither of those things. That's true. And so it's not like explicitly like a red flag. But it is a it's a it's a flag, you know, it's different than every other conversation that's happened so far in this book. 
or or manner of being of address <laughs> as it says it's a good it's a good point what do you think about mr wickham's introduction it's like one of those things where um we don't know a lot about denny uh he sort of seems not unanalogous to lydia and kitty you know he's <laughs> he's into his uniform and he's into you know being admired and like that's fine but like he has a lot to answer for with bringing Wickham into this group. Um, and it's just like one of those things where it's like, I wonder how much Denny knew. I wonder uh, how much Denny suspected. And I wonder like, you know, how how can we any of us be responsible for our friends? Um, but this is really a society in which someone vouching for you is a huge deal. Like you can't even address someone without being introduced first. So. Yeah, I it, it made me think about like ah oh, Denny. <laughs> the higher the much higher social stakes of the time and place of our text. Indeed. Well, thank God um we have lower standards now because I don't know if you would go on the record with me on a regular basis, but you are entirely responsible for me. I feel so glad to be responsible for such a good hostess and such a fun person. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, and a person who listeners will note the highly curated and edited list of features uh, <laughs> listeners will also note that Morgan remains terrible after all of these years together at taking earnest compliments I don't know maybe I just I maybe my standard for a compliment has raised and now I'm like oh two things Give me a break. Give me a break. Well, I think I'm going to fixate on that idea of like the heightened social stakes. And I'm realizing I probably should have been fixated on it from the beginning. I think you have been, especially as it pertains to Caroline. It's true. I guess I, it's it's just it's different when it's a boy. Yeah, I, it remains incalculably different when it's a boy <laughs> every time, even in our own time. Uh, well, with that, loosen your prejudices. And not your prides in this chapter. 